Uh, so here we are. We're continuing a series of messages that we've been doing through the Gospel of Mark. We are looking at Jesus' journey to the cross, and today we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, that's right. I'm going to do, oh, oh. do, uh, do a Mr. Rogers thing. I'm, All right. I'm too You're going to tie your shoes? There we go. All right. Um, so in the garden, Jesus' anguish is actually the thing that's given us an invitation to come to God in our own weaknesses and frailty and grief. And as we encounter God in our own pain, that's when we're truly able to join him on mission in bringing his presence to everyone around us in the world. And just like Jesus, we too have to go through the garden. We do. We do, and it's not always fun. All right, so and if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to Mark chapter 14. Uh, it's on page 695. I looked it up, and the Bible's right there in front of you. I want you guys to see this passage, because there's some really cool little turns of phrases. There's some really cool things in here that I think you'll find uh, in, in incredibly helpful um, as we go through it. So starting in verse 32, Mark chapter 14, here's what the text reads. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and they began to be, uh, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, if it be possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Pray and so, pray, uh, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and teachers of the law and elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garnet, garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Fun little fact at the, at the end there. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. This passage, this piece of scripture, even though it is like so hard to read and so hard to look at, this is why, this is why Jesus is different than everything else. This is why scripture is different than everything else. It's because we can connect with God because we see Jesus' humanity. Like this, this, what Jesus is walking through, this is a game changer for us. 
we are able to be with Jesus in our own pain. And so we're gonna take a look at that deeper today. And so as Jesus is walking through the garden, he actually begins to show us some of the ways that we can engage as we are walking through the garden seasons of our own lives. Yeah, one of the things that first stood out to me as we were reading this this week was in verse 34, as Jesus identifies my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. There's a pretty high degree of self-awareness there that often we find lacking. Do you ever get to the point where you feel frustrated and you're not sure why you're frustrated and you're acting out at everybody around you? And sometimes it's because you were hangry, right? But sometimes it's like something got said earlier in the day, something got done. Maybe you're coming in, like even some of you today, you're coming into this room with like a, a, what you already think I am or we are. And you're coming in with like, you're coming in with presuppositions that may or may not be true and it controls how you act in that space and you're not even aware that that's going on inside. I love the way that Jesus was like super aware here of what's going on. The word Gethsemane just simply means olive press. Like Jesus is going into a pressing time a time of temptation here. It's, this is the place that will cause you immeasurable pain. It's the place that will produce from that pain, from that pressing, some of the greatest treasures of Jesus' life, of your life. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmed with sorrow, that phrase, again, in the Greek, means to be surrounded by it as if there's sorrow on every side. There's no light in the darkness. It's the deepest grief as Jesus stares not only physical death in the face, I think that's actually the minimal thing. It's actually separation from God the Father. If you think about it, this is like the first time the band is broken up. This is the first time the Trinity is broken up, mm-hmm. right? And so if you journey with Jesus as one of his followers, he says in John, makes it very clear that as the teacher was treated, the students will be treated. If you follow Jesus, for any time, you're going to find yourself in a Gethsemane. You're going to find yourself in the press. Doesn't it feel good to be at church today? Yeah, I love Woo! it. Yeah, you're going to talk be about there. real things. Let's yeah. talk about hard things. So then, how do we develop self-awareness? Right. I think that we can talk about self-awareness yeah. and say I'm maybe self-aware that I'm not self-aware. Yeah. But like, don't stay there. You don't want to camp out there. Like, how do you really actively develop self-awareness? And I think you began to touch on that. Well, I think some people actually wear it, uh, that self-awareness as a pride. Like, oh, I only okay. know of like three emotions, glad, sad, mad, right? And hungry. And it's like, that's what I am, an American man, that's what I got. It's like, that's bullpucky. Have, have you ever seen like, you guys should Google, Google like the, uh, the emotion color wheel. It's like this incredibly, I'm an artist, so I like color wheels, but it's this incredibly cool wheel that's just filled with like tons and tons of adjectives that describe different kinds of emotion. I was showing it to a, a young man who was really struggling, you know, getting along with his wife. And I go, let's try to name what you're feeling. Because one of the first things is begin to name that. Yep. And he goes, I don't know. And so I showed him, I like, well, pick one of these words. And here's what he said. He goes, those aren't emotions. Those are adjectives. And I'm like, yeah, well, dude, what's an adjective? Let's go back to third grade English. What's an adjective? It's a word that describes something and these are all different kinds of things. So like learning that there are emotions. Step like one, part, learn right? there are emotions. I'm talking to the men. Learning that there are emotions is step one. 
I'm glad my husband will be here later. This yeah. is going to be so good. <laughs> this is good for our marriage. Then now help us out. So you, you'll have like this emotion pop up, right? So as I was talking with somebody earlier this week, I said you'll have an emotion pop up and you have to notice that there's an emotion rising to the surface, like a, almost like a bobber on the water. And you have to go get the bobber and, you, and there will be a string attached. The emotion is coming from something deeper within you. And so if you pick up the bobber and you begin to follow the string, you'll find the source. And when you find the source, you've begun to develop self-awareness. Now you have a thing that you can take to Jesus and pray about. Did you use a fishing analogy because I was talking to the men? Because that was really good. Like, oh. I understand it now. Oh, good. <laughs> this All is, right. No, Next seriously. analogy, maybe you, about are, food. Okay, are, got it. Are, are you, are you, do, you, do, you, do you go fishing? You know, I do go fishing. I don't like, I don't like to eat fish. I don't, don't like to touch fish, but I like fishing. It's like <laughs> treasure awesome. hunting or something. I love it. So actually learning how to name, learning to identify is some, if you want to actually experience some of what you need to get through the garden, Jesus like identifies stuff like right away at the beginning. It's really important. And then the other thing that I see in there is the way that there's so much more we could talk about with that first one, but there's, we, we, we're going to move on because there's some really useful things here as well, uh, is the whole aspect of community. Mm-hmm. Jesus brings his disciples. There's 11 because Judas has taken off. He brings his disciples to the garden, and then he separates out the three of his most trusted Peter, James, and John. And, and then like he, he's hanging with them. He's like, he knows that he needs them for support. Listen, for 2,000 years, to be a follower of Jesus actually means to be connected in local church community. Like You don't get through this by watching a screen. Honestly, God bless everybody who's watching online today. But without real local church community, face-to-face community, which is part of the reason we're doing our worship thing in the round in a couple weeks. It's like, you don't actually make it through the tough stuff in life. Even Jesus, God Almighty in the flesh, fully God, fully human, needed his community. Mm-hmm. It's like you and I are created for that, right? The, there's all these one another commands when you read through uh, the New Testament. Uh, John 13, you should wash one another's feet. John 15, I mean, Romans 15, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15, instruct one another. Ephesians 4, bear with one another in love. That means put up with one another in a loving way. Ephesians 4, again, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love this. I'm laughing at your, um, ex- uh, what was it? It was bear with one another in love. I feel like that's been us this week. <laughs> We've had to deal with each other all week. Working on the message? Yes, oh now my gosh. Now you have to unpack that. Oh you can't gosh. just drop that and not say anything. Um, all right, so we... <laughs> We have been working on this message all week, and there has been so many tears. We've had to deal with each other's emotions and struggles, and um, we've just genuinely shown up to each other. Here's how I'm arriving as we are going to start working on this, and we've just had to work through some things. We've talked through some things. We've prayed through some things. We've apologized for some things. We have. Look at us go. (laughs) Living the message. That's what we're doing. Oh my gosh, I just had to laugh at that. But scripture also tells us that like all of humanity, like we've been made in the image and likeness of God. And in the exact same way that we see the Trinity 
modeling being in community with one another, like that's how we are intentionally designed. We have to have other people actively participating in our lives. Like the same way that we need food and water is the same way that we need to have community. That's right. And if you think about it, the disciples did not choose their discipleship community. Jesus chose them and put them in community with one another, and they were on wildly different sides of the political spectrum. They were wildly different sides of the ideological spectrum, and he put them in community with one another. I cannot tell you how absolutely vital that is for you if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus. If you are in an echo chamber of only your friends in your generation, you are not going to be able to grow with Jesus very well. You're just not. Like You need the whole community. You need the older folks that have lots of cool white fur going on and you need the younger folks with lots of cool energy and you need everybody in between right if you're going to actually grow as a follower of jesus in community you don't get to pick that and the moment you begin to pick that you put god in such a small box in what he can actually do in your life with the people around you and you and you really stifle your growth so if you want to stifle your growth just keep doing that Carry on. Can you tell I'm a, little, I'm a little intense about this today? It's good. I like it. I was, I was hanging out with some folks, and we were doing the Learning to Pray Like Jesus class, and afterwards, like I, I just made a comment, offhand comment to a couple uh, friends of mine, and I just said, man, sometimes I'm a little intense. And the guy looked at me and goes, Michael, you are always intense. Yeah, so. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. Let's put that on a t-shirt for you. Always intense. So then the next thing Jesus does is not only community, but look at how he gets away three times for silence and solitude. Like these are disciplines that are so incredibly important in our lives. If you want to hear God in your life, you have to get away and actually be alone. And for some of us that are more wired extrovert, are you more extrovert introvert? I'm definitely more extrovert. I'm definitely more introvert. For some of us that are wired more extrovert, it's harder, right, to get away and just be alone. Oh my gosh, I hate being alone. Really? <laughs> yes. That's gonna change over the course of your life. I bet it will. It, it will. already has, I have children. Yeah. That's all it took. <laughs> like, okay, there you let's go. quiet down. But there's something about that practice of forcing yourself to be alone. I like to be alone. Uh, but what is interesting is an introvert, sometimes I'm alone just to be separated from you guys because I find myself annoyed from time to time, right? <laughs> but I'm not actually using that alone time to connect with God in a way that meets my deepest needs. And so not only do we need to be alone, but we need to actually zero in on that. So Jesus gets alone, and then there's this persisting in prayer. Yes, he persists in prayer. And what he prays is Abba, Father. And so what we're seeing is like Jesus has this deep intimacy with God, and that is the same intimacy that we are supposed to have with God. And like God's deep love for us is the very thing that is going to anchor us when we find ourselves in the difficult seasons, when we find ourselves in the garden. Here's the thing. Proximity breeds intimacy. Proximity breeds intimacy. If you feel like you are far away from God, or you feel like God is distant, or maybe you don't even believe in God, move closer. In any relationship, if you want to change your relationship, if you want to change your relationship with your spouse, if you want to change your relationship with your friends, you got to spend time with them. You gotta move closer to them. And the same thing works in our relationship with God. If you are not sure if God's real, if you wanna know more about God, move closer. Go to church, read your Bible, find people that you can ask really hard questions to, and you are going to find things about God that you never even knew. 
And then it's in the intimacy that Jesus is able to fully surrender to God's plan. And like for us, when we find ourselves in the garden, like it's so hard for us to do what we feel like God wants us to do. It is so hard. I mean, that's what this week has been. Like what is God doing? What's God inviting me into? And how do I come alongside that even when it feels really, really awful? And it's the intimacy with the Father that allows us to fully surrender our own heart and our own plan. And by intimacy, what we're talking about is an experiential relationship with God, like a really personal, practical, uh, give and take relationship with God. There's meant to actually be more there. Because here's the deal. When you're in the garden and you're getting pressed, going through the motions doesn't work anymore. It's actually a gift. When you get in the garden and you're being pressed, it identifies all the places where you've just been going through the motions. Because that actually feels completely flat and lifeless. And I've been following Christ for about 45 years now, and one of the things I've noticed is when difficult times come to people's lives, and they're gonna come to every single one of our lives, when difficult times come, the people who actually make it through are the people who have not just been going through the motions. The people who are going through the motions give up because it, it hasn't been working for some time for them. But there's more there. Mm. There's an intimacy that's there. That's so good. And the Navy SEALs, they have this, this quote that they... Fishing and Navy SEALs. This is pretty good. Oh, okay, I like great. This. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I don't butcher this quote now. <laughs> um, the Navy SEALs have this quote that says, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your like, highest level of training. Oh. And so in that pressure, oh. in that pressure is where you That's really good. get to see where you're at. And like you're saying, it's a gift. some people just run through the motions and then they're like, this doesn't work. Why am I going to do this? Why do I keep following Jesus if this isn't working? It's yeah. because they're falling to their, their lowest level of training and not working on how to really deeply connect with God and oh. make it personal. Oh. And I think the last couple years of COVID, many of us have fallen to our lowest level of training. Highest level of training. Yeah. That's it. We've fallen to our training, which we found out wasn't very deep. Yes. Mic drop. And then uh, I love the way Jesus says this. He, as he prays, he goes, everything is possible for you. There is a confidence in his relationship with God that's outstanding. He's Abba Father. Everything's possible for you. How do you build confidence in your relationship with God? The way I've seen it build in my life is a track record. I have 45 years of God's faithfulness that I can look back on. I have a ton of confidence. As we were preparing for this, and you were feeling kind of overwhelmed by this opportunity that we're doing right now, right? Yes. I kept showing up, you, you identified it. I kept showing up with confidence, and you said, well, that's just because you've done it so much. And, I've, and with knees shaking, I've gotten up here and done stuff, and I've seen God show up when I just make myself dependent on him and do that. And that's what he's inviting all of us into, is that kind of confidence. And then the honesty. Take this cup from me. I love the honesty there. So good, so good. And like you can find um, things about honesty. So there was a time in my life that I felt like I was in the press, right? Like I was in the garden. And I, I had so much emotion. I had so much pain that I actually had trouble like the bobber, following the string. I couldn't figure out exactly what the one thing was because there were so many options. And so it was actually the Psalms. I like landed in the Psalms and the Psalms were able to put words to my pain. And like there was one Psalm that said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And I would pray these, I would scream these Psalms at God. Like, but that, they became my prayers. 
And so it's when we can show up really authentically and honestly before God that we can begin to move forward. Yeah. Here's, here's the way I think about it. God is not like my insecure friends. He can handle what I'm thinking. He created my emotions. He created me completely. His, if, by the way, if you're one of my friends, I, it's not you I'm referring to as insecure. <laughs> right? You can vent to God. He's not threatened by you questioning him. He's not, he's not uncomfortable by you expressing raw emotion. Read through the Psalms, and there's places in the Psalms, I love it, where David is praying. He's like, God, what I need you to do right now is I need you to kick in the teeth of my enemy. Like, honestly, like, if, 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 if I was in Ukraine, I'd be praying the Psalms right now, because there's some really good ones there. He created you. He created your emotions. The Lord delights to hear from his children, right? One of our greatest acts of faith is coming to God with our raw emotions, our unfiltered thoughts. Because when you're able to come to him that way, it shows that you actually believe that you're safe with him and that he's not insecure. His beloved are safe with him. He delights to hear you. And then that leads him to what he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. So throughout Christian tradition, that prayer, God, not my will, but your will, is called the prayer of abandonment. Not that God's abandoning us. We often think of abandonment as in purely negative terms. I'm using it in a purely positive term. We abandon ourselves to anything but the will of God. And the two prayers of abandonment that we see best in the Bible are from a young teenage woman who got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Jesus' mom, Mary, and then Jesus himself. Like in his earthly, this is a good Mother's Day message right here, I'll save it for later, but let me give you a, a hint. Jesus probably learned that prayer from his mom. Dude, that's amazing, I got the chills. That's so good. I'm not even a mom, <laughs> right? Listen, I think most prayer fails because we're not being honest with God and I also think abandoning myself into the hands of God is amazing. So if you want to just, here's, I'm going to give you a Google assignment. Look up Charles de Foucault, Prayer of Abandonment. And just pray it every day. Charles de Foucault, Prayer of Abandonment. I love the end, the end of it. He says, uh, I, I don't even know where it's, a comma, comma, comma. For I love you, Lord, and so I need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. I love that. So think about that. Which of those things is most lacking in your life right now? Like, what does it look like when intimacy with God is lacking? It looks like you're going through the motions. It yep. looks like... You feel like you're serving endlessly, maybe at church or somewhere in the community, and you begin, you be, be, like begin to be resentful or angry, and you begin to do things for God instead of doing things with God. You find yourself easily blown off course. Yes. Right? right? Yep. Uh, what does it look like when confidence in God is lacking? Me this week. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what it looks like when confidence in God is lacking is I start blaming everybody else for my issues. Or like I start trying to find answers everywhere but prayer. Right? I start going to a whole bunch of different things. What does it look like when honesty with God is lacking? I think one of the things it looks like is your prayer life is really shallow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you, know, you, don't have what, you don't know what to say. People ask you how you're doing. You're like, fine. Yeah, you kind of shut down. 
yeah. and begin to shut down and turn off and maybe even like stop praying. That's right. Like completely. That's right. Because it just feels like it doesn't work. It doesn't make a difference. What does it look like when abandonment to God is lacking? That's almost the definition of cynicism. Some of us wear cynicism as a, as a badge of pride and honor. I'm cynical. That that's actually means that you think you know more than God about everything in the world and that you don't trust him at all. Whew. So we're in the garden. Am I getting too intense here? No, yeah, I love it. We are in the garden, I love it. Right? I love it because it's real. Like, this is church. We're supposed to talk about real things. It's yeah. real life. That's, what we're, that's where we're all at. So Jesus is in the garden. Yep. And don't be surprised then when intensity increases. It just gets As more you're going difficult. through this stuff, don't be surprised when the intensity increases. And there's a couple things that we saw that increased the intensity. One was Jesus' community turns out to be really disappointing. Right? Like, Jesus is already stressed out. He's already going through all these things, and then he goes to his friends, and he finds that they're sleeping. They haven't done what he asks. And Jesus could have been frustrated. He could have gotten angry, but really what he's teaching us is that our community isn't meant to meet our own needs. Our community is meant to stand in the gap. And so Jesus is doing this thing called differentiation. If you've been around the vineyard for a little while, you've maybe heard us talk about it. Another word for that is emotional maturity. Emotionally mature, Jesus. Isn't he the greatest? But So even when he finds the people that he loves, leaving him completely disappointed, he doesn't let that like anger him and upset him and, and like overthrow ev- everything that's going on. And here's what we do. When people in our lives that we love disappoint us, we shut down, we cut them off, we unfollow them on social media, and we begin to cut out our community. And here's the thing is, the enemy loves to get us to cut out our community because as we've already talked about, community is a core piece to us thriving in life. It is the way that God has designed us that we need to have community. And so the enemy will do whatever he can to get us to turn our community out, like cut cut our community out. And so we need to continue to move towards community. And when they let us down, not if, when they let us down, we fall back into going to prayer and going back to community, yeah. just like we see Jesus. So he, he has this thing on repeat where he is going to prayer, comes back, the communities let him down. He goes to prayer, he comes back, the communities let him down. He's not blocking them. He's like coming back and connecting with them, and then he engages with them. And, and eventually, they really let him down. We're going to get to that story in a couple weeks where they all just take off and totally desert him and even deny him. And it doesn't, like, ruffle him. He's able to come back. When that whole thing is said and done, he's able to come back and welcome them back in. And then he empowers them to take this mission forward. Just because your community has disappointed you, just because your family has disappointed you, just because your friends didn't show up for you once or twice, you don't cut them off. You don't run away. God has created you for community with one another. Now, if there's somebody in your life who is abusive, absolutely, it's good to have boundaries. I'm not saying that. Uh, as we read in some parts of really conservative church, like you have to stick with your abuser. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is staying connected to our community is absolutely vital, especially when they're disappointing. We, we have the Lord of the universe being disappointed by his deepest friends. And he doesn't want to be alone. This is God Almighty. And he doesn't want to be alone in this moment. And so, yeah, when community doesn't work, we go back to prayer. 
right? And you're persistent. You're repeating that over and over and over. And then the other thing that I see here is when he tells Peter um, to uh, stay awake um, because temptation is coming. Like you want to survive temptation. Yes. You realize this is, this is, I don't have time to unpack this. You realize this is amazing passage because this is not the first garden where humanity is tested, right? There's a reason this is in the garden. There's a reason this is taking place in this spot. Uh, uh, you know, God in his infinite wisdom is pointing back to the very first garden and the lack of trust that humanity had in who God was and the way he wanted to bring wisdom to them. And the basic sin of Adam and Eve in that garden was that they didn't trust God. They began to doubt that God's way of bringing wisdom to them wasn't as good as their way of gaining wisdom. And because of that, they lose out on the tree of life. The cross is about to become the tree of life. There are so many cool little pictures throughout this. And the, 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 the words that... I, I love the way that in the first garden, Adam... Uh, his basic sin there was passivity. He never engaged as the serpent is lying to the woman. He never engages there. The second Adam, uh, the apostle Paul calls Jesus, engages to the point of laying down his life so that relationship with God can be strong. It's like that is absolutely fascinating. And so, yeah. And so, like, as Jesus is talking with the disciples about this, he's saying, watch out, like, stay awake, pay attention. And he's creating this almost, like, sense of warning, this sense of urgency, because when we grow weak, temptation comes our way. It's almost, like, guaranteed. And this is actually, this is something that we can find in other parts of Scripture. Like, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Or in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. Like when we're at our weakest, all we want to do is reach out for something that's going to bring us comfort, something that's going to give us a sense of control, something that's going to make us feel better. That is why we turn to things like alcohol or gaming or social media, because we try to like numb our minds. Like, I just don't want to think about this anymore. I just want to shut this off. I don't want to do this. And so that's what we do. We lean into these things, and they're not bad things. But these are the things that lead us towards addiction. These are the things that lead us towards derailing our lives. Like, people don't plan to have affairs in their marriages, but it's like feeling lonely in your marriage will lead you towards some casual flirting in the office, or it'll lead you towards um, downloading a dating app on your phone. Just to, you know, you just want to like feel noticed, feel cared for a little bit. But it's like these little compromises in the temptation that lead us towards the thing that we don't actually want to find ourselves in. And that's what Jesus is saying. Watch out, pay attention, stay alert, be awake. That's the whole issue with porn, right? Yeah. It's like I'm looking for a sense of intimacy I'm looking for that, but the real work of actually establishing intimacy is so complicated and hard that, hey, I'll just pretend I'm meeting my need yeah. with a little porn. So I love, uh, just moving on from that for a second, I love the way that Jesus' actions in this whole scene are not controlled by his foes and they're not controlled by the faithless community around him. He's being true to who he is in that. And you mentioned differentiation. That's like the other side of that. 
All right, and then let's, let's take a couple more things that make this really difficult. Uh, the very people uh, Jesus came for turn on him. So uh, the heat in the garden just got turned up a whole another like 100 degrees. Why, why do you think that they come to him carrying weapons, clubs, and swords? Like Jesus makes this point really clearly. You could have arrested me anytime. Why are you coming to me with all this stuff? It's because the message of the gospel is wildly offensive. Like the real thing is offensive. That's why Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians that this is uh, foolishness to the Greeks and it's offensive to the Jews. It's foolishness and it's offensive to say that you need a savior, that you actually need somebody to step in for you. Like our humanity, our pride is endless. It's boundless that we think what we can accomplish. The truth is when you look around our planet the last couple thousand years, there is no human solution to the human problem. The solution to the human problem only comes through Christ and him crucified, and him resurrected. And so, to come to Christ, you have to be able to admit your need, that you have a need of a savior, that, and, that you, and you have to be able to admit your failure, that you can't meet that need. Those are like the two necessary components in coming to Christ. That's why people find it so offensive. That's why you and I have found it offensive. That's why we maybe begin relationship with Jesus at the lowest part of our lives, and then as things get better, we're like, hey, I got this, thanks God, I'll take it from here. No, that's a, you're going to be headed downhill really fast after that. That's the, kind of the way that this thing works. And so they come aggressively defensive. There's so many ways that the message of Christ, the life of Christ, is threatening to us. And so kind of learning that is actually really helpful uh, as, as you go through these moments. You and I are not so different than Judas. We're not so different than the Pharisees. And then uh, the very people Jesus came for turned on him, this whole thing with false intimacy. Yes. There's an intimacy that Jesus has with the Father that Judas does not have. The Greek word that's translated kiss is not just like an Italian kiss, like mwah, mwah, like that, kiss on the cheek. It is a deep, passionate kiss. It's the kiss that you give to a friend. Like, it's, it's a, I just wanted to make like several jokes there. It's like <laughs> loving affection that you're giving, right? Judas is coming to Jesus with mocking affection. Jesus is going to get mocked as king as this trial goes on. The next couple of weeks we're going to read about it. He's going to get mocked a lot. It all begins right here with Judas. He's being mocked as king. And so it's, worth, it's really worth like pausing and like reflecting and thinking about like what is it within maybe you and each of us that we find offensive about Jesus. Hmm. And like if we take a second and think about it, what is it, because if you look at Judas's storyline, right? Like he, he didn't want to end up here. He didn't plan for himself to end up here, but he did. And so like what is it in our lives right now that might be leading us towards a false intimacy with Jesus? Where we think that we're setting ourselves up for this beautiful life following God but really that's not where we're headed at all. Yeah. One of the things I see in Judas's life, and you, when you read kind of theologian historians, they disagree about kind of Judas's motivation um, in, in terms of all the, all the details of it. But one of the things that stands true, even in most people's writings, is that 
Judas had an expectation that Jesus, that God, would do things in a certain kind of way, and Jesus is doing it totally different. And so Judas could be like trying to, uh, trying to make Jesus like show his hand. Like at some point you're going to have to defeat the Romans, and so let me just cause a conflict. Or it could be like the internal stuff going on with him and his pride and his trying to meet his own needs and the whole money aspect. Whatever it is, like he's denying the truth. He has this show of intimacy, but he's denying the truth of Jesus' uniqueness and, and who the Christ really is in this, right? And, 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 and that part of it, I think, is, tends, to, tends to be pretty offensive when God doesn't do things the way we want him to do it. Right? Yes, all the time. That's, that's really probably like what it boils down to is like yeah. God doesn't do things the way I want them to be done. Yeah. There's a little Judas in all of us. Like you mentioned that. We all have the same potential. We're, all, we're always in danger of using Jesus kind of as masks for our own greed or our own uh, deviance, our own pride, our own self-promotion. Israel wanted a savior but the way Jesus came is terribly offensive in that. And so then there's this false intimacy. I wonder how often we show up in settings like this with a show of intimacy that's just not really there. Honestly, sometimes the worship songs get me because the worship song is like a really intimate expression of relationship with God. And as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I don't actually feel that in this moment. I've actually been pretty distracted this week by other things. And then it's an opportunity to own that, right? And then go deeper with him in that moment. So we should do that. Hand off. We should do that right now. Right, hand off right now. So this is an invitation to come to God in our weakness, in our frailty, in our grief, and actually learn how to pray and connect with him. Jesus did that in what was his final hours and in the midst of that, it leads him to this place of actually great joy. Like the suffering's not the end of the story. And so there's this passage I want to put on the screen. Because so much of this feels like it's at the garden and it's dark. And now he's been arrested and he's going to get beaten. It's going to be brutal. In the midst of that, I want us to remember this out of number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. That means that you would see the smile of God over your life and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. That's a whole other message to unpack all that. But there's something really powerful there. And I fully expect Jesus is experiencing that in the garden as he's leaning into all this stuff. Lead us into ministry. All right, so we are gonna transition to a time of ministry. And so I will have you stand up. And here's the thing about kind of what we talked about today is like, it's easy to come to church in like the rhythm of like a typical Sunday morning. You wake up, you grab a cup of coffee, you get dressed, you start the car, you come to church, you get another cup of coffee, you sit down. Like, there are real things we are experiencing in life right now, and this is the place where we get to surrender where we are truly at as we maybe are experiencing the garden. And so we're just going to take some time, and we're just going to pray over that.
And so Jesus, would you, would you come? And I just thank you, thank you for what you endured so that we can come to you at our weakest, at our most frail condition. Like we can come to you in that. And so even this morning, Jesus says, like, some of us are thinking about those things in our lives right now. My marriage is a mess. I don't know what to do. I can't stand my career. Like, all the things that might make us feel like we're in the garden right now. Jesus, would you help us to take courage and move towards prayer this morning? And move towards letting you meet us in the garden like we watched Father, we lift up to you our disappointments with community. There's disappointments at the people that, um, that we used to see more regularly in our lives who brought joy and hope. That we actually saw your gracious hand like moving. It's so encouraging. And the difficulty of, just because of the past couple years, really not seeing some of those folks in community with us. We just lift up those disappointments to you, God. Would you meet us in that? And would you actually bring a confidence in you that would cause us to in whatever way you lead us to reach out, to re-extend, to re-invite ourselves into their lives. Yeah, and I also just feel like there's some of us today that are just like, we are, you are experiencing the garden and you just want to be done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel this anymore. This is just too hard. And so, Jesus, would you draw near? That's right. Would you show them how you have not left their side, they are not alone, and that you are going to bring them through the garden? That's right. And I feel like there's others of us this morning who are like, you know, I've really abandoned my faith. I've really just like walked away from Jesus, and I think I need to start again. Like, I need to, like, recommit my life to Jesus today. And so if that's you, like, the Bible teaches us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so, Jesus, would you come right now? Would you create a fresh beginning, a new start? And I pray that there would be a more realistic like pictures and ideas and expectations on what it looks like to follow you. Thank you that you are always with us. You are always leading us towards new life. So if you're on the ministry team, why don't you make your way up here? We want to take some time to pray for one another. Again, getting prayer in community for a couple thousand years is part of what it means to be in the church. And so online, you can click on a little button for that. If you're in the room here, I just invite you to begin to make your way up front 
there's some stuff I know God has highlighted for you. Don't walk out the same way you walked in. Actually ask God to meet you. These guys are going to lead us in worship behind us for a little bit. Uh, Steph and I might have a couple more words to pray over us as a group. But this is the time to begin to move around and actually get some prayer. Pray for one another. See God begin to move in our lives in in some really cool ways here. And so Holy Spirit, would you give us courage to actually respond to you, not just kind of crawl back in our little cave? Would you give us courage to interact with one another and to really grow? Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your presence here. We need your leadership in our lives. We need the things that you bring to us that help us move forward. And so right now in this moment, would you do that?